The Bible says in Acts chapter 12 and verse 5, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. God doesn't always answer prayer the way we want Him to. And because of that, people tend to doubt the power of prayer. Do you believe that God answers prayer? Here in Acts chapter 12, we read that the disciples, the church there at Jerusalem, they prayed without ceasing to God for Peter. Well, why were they doing this? What was going on? Well, let's go back to verse 1 of Acts chapter 12. And we'll catch up on the story here. Remember last week, as Billy preached... Uh, Saul and Barnabas took a trip from Antioch back to Jerusalem to bring some relief. There was a great famine going on, and it was a difficult time for the believers. But it wasn't just difficult because of the famine, because up to this point there had been some religious persecution. Remember Saul of Tarsus? Now Saul is, is saved, and Saul is serving God, but Saul didn't start out there. He started out as an enemy of God and of the church. There had been religious persecution, but now in Acts chapter 12, we see the beginning of the political persecution against the church. Look with me, if you will, at verse 1. It says, Now about that time, Herod the king. This is not the Herod that was king when Jesus was born. This is his, that's that Herod's grandson. We've gone a little bit further in the chronology of Scripture. Herod the king, he stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And I want to pause there for a minute because you say, wow, that was pretty, Luke didn't spend much time. He just, James died. He was killed with the sword. But I want you to Look back at a passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 10. So if you can, stick your finger there in Luke chapter 12 and look back at Mark chapter 10 because here is a conversation between James and his brother John with Jesus. And they came to Jesus and they had a special request for Jesus. Mark chapter 10, verse 35, they said to him, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Sometimes this is how we pray to God. God, just do for me whatever I want right now. And so what did they desire? They, and Jesus said to them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one at thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. That was a big ask. But Jesus, it says, said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of? Jesus, when he referred to this cup, was referring to his death on the cross. He's saying, will you be able to partake of the same sufferings that I'm going to go through? 
He says, and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. Their answer, verse 39, they said to him, we can. And Jesus said unto them, ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I'm baptized with all shall ye be baptized. Well, here is Jesus' promise coming to pass in the life of James as he's put to death with a sword. We don't like to claim all of God's promises, do we? Like the promises that all that shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Well, Jesus promised James, okay, James, you want a special place in my kingdom. Okay, then you're going to have to go through what I go through. Are you willing to do that? Oh, sure, sure. James didn't know what he was agreeing to. Well, here was the fulfillment of that. James is put to death with the sword. It's very sad. And notice what Herod does after he does this to James. He said, it says, and because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Hey, they liked it when James died. All of those religious Jewish leaders there. Let's see what we can do with Peter. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him. So this is four groups of four soldiers. Sixteen soldiers were put in charge of caring and watching out and making sure that Peter didn't get free. Perhaps Herod remembered that just a few years prior to this, it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 5, when all, Peter and all the apostles were put in prison and God set them all free. Maybe Herod said, oh, uh, Maybe we need to make sure these guys are guarded better this time. I'm going to put 16 Roman soldiers. Most likely they would have had four for each quarter of the day. So four, 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 and four. Two, one was chained on either side of Peter and two guarding the door to his cell. Peter's not getting free. Or so Herod thought. He says he intended after Easter to bring him forth to the people. So Peter's in prison now for a little period of time here. Verse 5 again, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. This morning as we look at this incredible story, probably one of the most fascinating stories in the book of Acts, as we see God's hand at work and working miracles and working in and through His people, I hope that you'll take some time to listen to what may be, for some of you, a very familiar story, but this morning you will be reminded of and or learn some wonderful principles about prayer. Prayer. I hope you'll listen and learn how you should pray, why you should pray, and what you can expect when you pray. I think this story is a tremendous example and demonstration of God at work in His people and using the power of prayer. Notice with me, prayer recognizes God's presence. His presence, that God is near. You see there in the verse, verse number 5, it says, And they prayed without ceasing. They continued in prayer praying on and on for Peter. Now, I want you to try and put yourself a little bit in Peter's shoes this morning and in the shoes of the people who were part of that church there in Jerusalem. 
Because I can tell you, if you were living in that day, you would have felt the presence of King Herod. I mean, here's a guy, all he has to do is say, hey, take James, kill him with the sword, I'm done with him, and it happens. Here's a man who can say, all right, that was good, take Peter, throw him in prison. Herod can do pretty much whatever he wants to do at this point in time. The people felt Herod's presence. And I can guarantee you that they felt, or at least Peter felt the soldier's presence as well. And he's chained, one on either side of him. He, he All day long, when he goes to sleep, when he wakes up, he's chained to guards. He sees these guards. He feels and experiences their presence. And I would say it this way to you this morning. We often can feel and we know and we sense the presence of our enemies around us. But do we feel, do we know, do we realize that God is with us also? God is present. He is a very present help in trouble. See, failure to recognize God's present presence in any situation is a failure to understand the character and nature of God. King David wrote in Psalm 139 and verse 7, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I go from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. Behold, if I, take the wing, if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Isn't that comforting to know that God is there and He's holding us? Peter was chained to those prison guards. They felt very present, but he had his God who was present with him as well, who was holding him. And that same God, if He's your God, if you've trusted in His Son, Jesus Christ, if you're His child this morning, I want to remind you, He's present with you. He's holding on to you no matter where you're at this morning. You say, well, I'm here. You might be here in body, but some of you aren't here in mind and spirit yet, I know. Because I know what it's like to come to church on Sunday. I've been doing it my whole life. You can be here physically, but mentally you might be a thousand miles away because of burdens, because of struggles, because of issues, because of things going on in your life. But I want to remind you this morning, God is present. And prayer is a recognition of God's continual presence with us. Why would you pray to a God who's not here? Do you remember when Elijah was at the top of Mount Carmel and they were building those altars, one to Jehovah and one to Baal, and the guys building their altar to Baal went first and they were crying out to Baal, Oh, Baal, hear us! They were trying to get him to send fire down from heaven. And remember what Elijah said after a while when Baal didn't answer? He said, maybe he's taking a walk. That maybe he's taking a nap. Cry louder. Wake him up, right? But you know the reality is in our life when we pray to God, sometimes we feel like our God is taking a nap. Sometimes we feel like He's not listening. But I want to remind you this morning, based on the truth of the Word of God, we serve a God who is present. He's with us. He'll never leave us. He will never. 
prayer is a recognition of God's presence in your situation. I wrote this in your notes because I wanted to make sure you took this home with you. Your perspective determines your reality. All right, the way you look at things is how you understand life. Have you ever met somebody and say, they're just living in crazy land? You know, whatever they're doing, it doesn't make sense. And I don't know why they think that way. It's because that's their perspective, which informs their reality. You say, well, that's a false reality. There's a lot of people walking around in false realities this morning. The only true reality is this, that God is present. He is with you, and you can walk with Him. Your perspective determines your reality. Where you are and who you are with will determine your outlook on a situation. How many of you remember? It's late at night. Good old Houston thunderstorm comes rolling through. You're a small child. The thunder wakes you up. The lightning flashing in your window wakes you up. And you run over to your parents' room. Why? Are they going to stop the storm? No. You just want to make sure they're there. Their presence brings great calm in the situation. We serve a God who is, in, in theological terms we call it, He's omnipresent. He's everywhere present. King David understood that. I can go to heaven, He's there. I can go to the ends of the earth, He's there. Wherever I go, God is there. One songwriter, Ron Hamilton, that we like very much said, When shadows fall and the night covers all, there are things that my eyes cannot see, but I'll never fear while my Savior is near. My Lord abides with me. See, praying without ceasing, as the church did here for Peter, is to recognize God's continual presence in the situation. God sees and God knows. Recognize His presence in your situation. Continue in prayer. He is near. Prayer is a recognition of God's presence, but I'm so thankful God's not just near. He's also a God who has all power. Prayer is a recognition of God's power. Remember those disciples on the Sea of Galilee as they were in that boat and the waves were big and the storm was really high, and, and they were afraid. They didn't know what to do, and they looked out, and they saw Jesus. What was He doing? He was walking on the water towards them. His presence calmed them, didn't it? But remember what happened when He got into the boat, and by His power, He said, Peace, be still. God's presence in a situation is a wonderful characteristic of God that ought to help us to continue to pray without ceasing but they prayed without ceasing to God. God was the object of their prayer. He was the focus of their prayer. Why? Because God has all power. He is able to do far above anything we could even ask or think. We serve a great God. Now there's a funny twist to this story. I want you to listen Back in our text in Acts chapter 12, verse number 6, the Bible says, And when Herod would have brought him forth, bringing Peter out of prison, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. 
Luke is very careful to record for us exactly how well he was chained, how many guards were there, and where they were all stationed. I think it's also interesting to note that the church has been praying without ceasing all this time. Remember, he put Peter in prison before the the feast began, and he was going to wait until after the feast was over to actually bring him out and execute him. God didn't release Peter from prison the first day he went into prison. What kind of God is that? That They'd been praying. Why didn't he release them right away? If God was going to do it anyway, why did he wait? Have you ever felt like that? God, if you're going to work this situation out anyway, why don't you do it right now? Well, maybe God isn't able. No, he's able. He has all power. We'll see, I think, why he didn't do it right away in our third point. But this morning, just... In this moment, suffice it to say, God doesn't always do things exactly when you want it and in the way that you want it done. But don't be surprised when He does the unexpected. He he may not do it the way you want it, when you want it, but He will often do things that are far above and even completely unexpected by you. And that's exactly what we see in the story. So they've been praying. They've been doing this without ceasing. It's day after day after day. No release, no release. Finally, the day that Herod is going to take him out to execute him, God waited right up to the very end. That's when it says, Behold, verse 7, the angel of the Lord came upon him. Here's Peter. He's been laying in this prison cell, chained to these guards for multiple days, I slept on a college bunk bed in a dorm this week, and I felt it. Peter's been laying on the prison floor, chained to guards. You know he's sore. Clearly, he's tired, and he's fast asleep, and this angel comes and shines a light in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side. (laughs) This is kind of what it's like when you're 13 years old and your parents are trying to wake you up so you can get anywhere, right? The light comes on, you get hit in the side, let's go get up. But Peter still didn't wake up. It's kind of funny here, it says. And he he raised him up. It's like the angel had to pick him up and hit him in the side and pick him up and shake him a little bit. And he says, arise up quickly. And Peter's chains fell off his hands. There's nothing for God to release us from chains. This is just kind of an afterthought, isn't it? He comes into the prison. That's easy for God because he's present everywhere, right? He looks down at Peter, and he says, get up! And the chains just fall off. Why? That's easy for God, because he has all power. He says, arise and let's go. Look at the next verse. And it says, and so he did, and he saith unto him, I'm sorry, and the angel said unto him, gird thyself, bind on thy sandals, get dressed, put on your shoes, and so he did. And he said to him, cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him. Notice, and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. Peter's still half asleep. God's showing up in his prison cell. God's shining a light on him. God's hitting him in the side. God's telling him to get dressed. God's making the chains fall off. God's leading him out past the guards. And Peter sleeps through the whole thing. He thinks it's a dream. Isn't it amazing? God works even when we're not paying attention. 
God, God is always at work. He's always accomplishing things. Later we step back and say, wow, look at all that God did. And that's basically what Peter does here in a few minutes. But at the time, he was half asleep. God doesn't need you to be able to accomplish great things. God often does his greatest work maybe when we're half asleep because we get in the way otherwise. I don't know. No, God wants us to be faithful in serving him, right? But Peter here, he's half asleep. God's with him in his cell. God's present. God causes the chains to fall off. God's powerful. Peter thinks he's having a dream. Verse 10, when they were past the first and the second word, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of his own accord. <laughs> I love that. God didn't even have to say open sesame. Right? There was no hydraulic power. There was no electronic motor. There was no person that opened the gate. God, God just, the gate just opened. Is anything too hard for God? God said that about Abraham and Sarah. When at 99 and 90 years old, gave birth to Isaac. Nothing's too hard for God. He's locked in prison. He's chained up between two guards. There's two more at the door and they switch every four hours. These guys aren't falling asleep on the job. These are Roman soldiers. He's behind all these gates, one, two wards, and then the big iron gate that leads to the city. That's nothing for God. Prayer is a recognition of God's power that He is able to do exceedingly above all that we could ask or think. So why are you not praying like you should? If God is present and He has all power, why do you doubt? Why do you not pray? I'll tell you why, because I do the same thing. So I'm not picking on you this morning. We doubt because often the presence of what's going on around us and the power of those that we see in our society to our human senses seems to be greater than that of God. Your perspective determines your reality. If you spend so much time filling your mind and filling your day with just the things of this world, you will miss out on who God is and what He's able to do. If we're going to consistently walk with God and pray to God as we should, trusting in God's presence and in God's power, we have to be willing to focus our hearts and our minds on the Lord. Matthew 6 and verse 33, you probably know the verse. It says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto thee. See, you're worried about your job. You're worried about your co-workers. You're worried about your health. You're worried about what your neighbor's going to do. You're worried about what that family member's going to do that's out to get you. You're worried about all of these things. Philippians 4 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer, and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, 
shall keep your hearts and minds by Christ Jesus. By Christ Jesus. The presence and power of, the, of this world, the people of this world, is very real. But we serve a God who's greater, who's everywhere present. He can go to the lowest place, the tightest locked up prison. God is there. And He has the power to throw off every chain and open up every door and set you free. You say, well, I haven't experienced that power. Well, God records in His Word so many wonderful examples of God's power that can be an encouragement to us. You can remember God's power just in creation, just in looking around at the world. I realize your experience in your life may not be enough to go on to give you faith in God, but just take long enough to look around at the creation around you and say with the psalmist in Psalm chapter 8, verse 3, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy hands, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? We can see God's power in creation, but oh, my friend, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ this morning, you can recognize God's power in your salvation. That He could take old things, dead things, and make them new and make them alive. That He can wash away all your sin. That He can put it away as far as the east is from the west. That is a miracle. That's something only God can do. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. Power of God to what? Unto salvation. Salvation is rescue. It's bringing dead things and making them into living things. Ephesians chapter 2, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. He goes on about our sins and then he says down in verse 5, But God, who is rich in mercy. See, it's the power of God unto salvation to not just some. He says to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first. And also, I'm praising the Lord for this one, also to the Greek. That's all of us that aren't Jews. It's the power of God that can take you and change you. So if you're struggling with the power of God to work in your particular situation, just take some time to reflect on what God did when He made this world, when He spoke it into existence. Remember what God did when He saved you from your sin. But if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, did you know that power of God is available to you this morning? Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, came to this earth and He lived a perfect life. And then He took all of your sin and He died in your place. The Bible says it very clearly that the wages of sin is death. Your sin, well, it's not as bad as His sin. It doesn't matter. Your sin, the payment for that is death. But, that's a good little three-letter word there in the middle. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Recognize God's power in creation and in salvation. You can see this power at work. Notice what happens to Peter. 
He gets out. He thinks he saw a vision. He's waking up now. He, he comes through the iron gate and it says, verse 11, and when Peter was come to himself, he said, now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. This world has an expectation about what's going to happen. I got a letter in the mail this week from the President of the United States. Maybe you did too. We're doing this and this so that we will be able to accomplish this with our country. We're going to do this together. The world has an expectation of how things are going to come together. The Jews here had an expectation. Peter's in prison. He's locked up. He's not getting free. He's about to die. God is the God who loves to far surpass our expectations. He surpassed the expectations of the unbelieving Jews here, but He also surpassed the expectations of the believers, of the disciples. Because Peter, he finally wakes up. He finally realizes, God did this. I'm out of prison. I'm free. And, and the next verse tells us what he does next. And when he considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Now, this isn't the point of the message, but I, I don't want to pass this verse up without saying it is very interesting to me that when Peter gets out of prison and he realizes what God just did, he knows whose house he wants to go to ahead of time. He knows where the believers are going to be gathered praying for him. And I got to thinking about that. If God were to do some kind of miracle in your life, would you want to come to my house or call me and say, I know he's been praying for me. Would somebody want to come to your house? I know she's been praying. If anybody's gathered up late in the middle of the night praying for me, it's probably happening at their house. So I'm going to go over there first. That's a pretty amazing testimony about John Mark's mother. And it's no wonder that John Mark later, even though he had his struggles, that he later went into the ministry and served the Lord. Because his house was a house where the people gathered to pray. It would be my desire. It would be my hope. It would be my dream that when people say, wow, God's doing great things, I want to go over there to arise. I bet they're praying. Those are people of prayer. I don't know that that's something people would say of us right now. But I think it'd be a great thing that people could say of us if we'd be faithful in prayer. He went to John Mark's mother's house. Her name was Mary. So that's a lot of description. Well, there were a lot of Marys at this time. So he's trying to make it clear which Mary it was. It was John Mark's mother. And they were gathered together praying. And it says, And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice... Oh, it's Peter at the door. She was so excited. It says she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood at the gate. I love how Luke includes these kind of things in the book of Acts. These are real people, right? I can totally imagine this little servant girl. They've been praying. It's the middle of the night. Peter gets free and he knocks on the door and she hears his voice and she's so excited. She leaves him at the front door, locked outside and goes in and tells everybody about it. These are just people too, right? Sometimes we look at the people in the Scripture and think, oh, they were super people. No, they're just people. Just people. This kind of thing could happen to you. It could happen to me. Oh, Rhoda, what was she doing? She was excited. 
She runs in and tells everybody about it. But remember the Jews, it was beyond their expectation. Notice what happened to the disciples here in the church. It says, when she told them, they said to her, verse 15, thou art mad. You're crazy. (laughs) What are you talking about? But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, it is his angel. Oh, it's just Peter's ghost at the door. Yeah, I know, you're praying. Yeah, he's dead by now, surely. Herod's already done away with him. But at least his ghost came by for a visit on his way. No. No. But Peter continued knocking. (laughs) This whole time, can you just imagine? He's out there, hello, I'm out here. I don't want those Roman soldiers to wake up and realize I'm gone and come get me. I'm out here. Somebody come help me. And finally it says... They opened the door. They saw him. They were astonished. They were astonished. See, God will not always do what you expect when you expect. But don't be surprised when he does the unexpected. They were so surprised. He said, well, this is what you were praying for. Let's be honest, how many times do we pray for things and then we're surprised when it actually happens? We shouldn't be surprised when God demonstrates His power. That's what God does. But we doubt sometimes because God doesn't always do it the way we expect it and when we expect it to happen. I mean, think about this. How do you think James' mother felt after he was killed? Did she think, oh yeah, God... God clearly showed his power. No. She might have struggled. Why would God let my son be killed and then set Peter free? If James had a wife, if he had children, how do you think they felt? God, you're not fair. If you have to do it for them, you've got to do it for everybody. If you healed that person, you've got to heal me. No, God doesn't have to because he's God. Say, why, why, why? See, prayer recognizes the presence of God. It recognizes the power of God. But I think we can also see and, and hope to answer a little bit of that why. Prayer also recognizes God's plan. His presence, His power, Well, God doesn't always do things the way we expect. God always has a plan. And He's always working to accomplish that plan. And God has never yet failed and He never will fail. He always wins. I would say two things about God's plan. One, it's bigger than your plan. And two, it's better than your plan. But, again, remind you of James's family after he'd been killed with the sword. It might not have felt bigger and better to them. That's easy to say, oh yeah, I agree with that. But then when life gets hard, 
when you have that diagnosis of sickness, when you lose your job, I don't think God's plan is bigger and better now. No way. So how can we trust a God or much less pray to a God that does things? Yes, he might be present. Yes, he might have power. But when he does things that don't make sense to us. So let's go back to our story one more time. And we'll finish out the end of the chapter. And I want you to notice verse 17. We'll read down through the end of the chapter. It says, but he. Beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace. Declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Here's what God did. Don't be so surprised. This is what God did. And he said, go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now you might remember, wait a minute, James, I thought he was dead. It's a different James. More than one guy with the name James. So James, who was the brother of John, who were followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, that was the James that was killed with the sword. This James is the half-brother of Jesus who later becomes, really after this point, becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem and he later writes the book that we have in our Bible called James. Two different guys. So Peter, as he relays to them what God had done in his life, he says, make sure to show these things to James. Make sure James knows about it. God is actually working in this story, and we would totally miss it if we didn't know the whole big picture. God is actually working to move Peter onto another place of ministry and to raise up James as the new leader of the church in Jerusalem. We wouldn't, they wouldn't have known this in the moment. We know it because we can read the rest of the book of Acts and see what happened. But can I remind you, when we look at situations, we only see what's happening right now, right here, right in this moment. We don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. We don't know what's going to happen later today or tomorrow, next week, next year, right? But God does. God was at work to continue to develop His church and bring new leadership in and move Peter to another place of ministry. It says right here, right after this, that Peter... He just went to another place. Now, verse 18, Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers. Of course not. They wake up, and the guy they were chained to is gone. The doors are open. He's free. And it says, And when Herod sought for, them, for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. Did you hear what happened? The guys that Peter was chained to, the guards that were guarding him, are now put to death. Peter, who was supposed to die, is free. The guys who were free, who were guarding him, are now put to death. God just turns the whole thing on its head. And then Herod goes to Caesarea. But the story doesn't stop there. Because then it says, and when and Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, these are people that lived in two other cities that Herod was in charge over, he was upset with them, but they came with one accord to him, and they made, and having made Blastus the king's chamberlain their friend, they desired peace. So they got in good with one of the king's uh, co-workers, if you will, one of his servants, his chamberlain, one of his counselors there. And so they came to Herod, and they wanted peace. And so they come in before Herod, and, and Herod's sitting up on his throne, and 
these leaders from Tyre and Sidon come in and they're trying to make good with Herod because they want Herod to take better care of them in Tyre and Sidon. And it says, And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout and saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. They looked at Herod and said, wow, it looks and sound, you look and sound like God. If you read the historian, the Jewish historian Josephus, he says that Herod was arrayed in this garment made completely out of silver. And when he stood up, the, the, the garment caught the light. And it shone in, in bright and beautiful colors. And, and the people were just awed. And of course, they're trying to get something from the king. So they cry out, oh, he looks, he, he sounds like a God. Notice what the Bible says, and immediately, Immediately, the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. And you can read the history books and it's recorded there as well. Now, I want to make this point though. Has God immediately killed everyone who didn't give him glory when they should have? No, because if he did, none of us would be here this morning, right? There have been lots of kings throughout the ages who were worshipped as God. Caesars, Egypt, right? All of those leaders. Even to this day, there are places in the world where political and, and religious leaders are worshipped as God. And God doesn't immediately smite them dead. Why did he do it with Herod? Well, yes, it was because he didn't glorify God, because that's sin. The wages of sin is death. But God is demonstrating here, there's no political power, there's no governmental authority that is above God. And when God's ready, He can say, I'm done. That's it. See, prayer is a recognition of God's plan. It, it doesn't mean you know what God is doing. It's just an acknowledgement that he is working. And God, please help in this situation. God, I, I want to see you work. These people, as they're praying, they're not expecting that Herod is going to be killed after he gets up and people say, oh, you look like a God, and then he's not going to give God glory, and then he's going to... They could not never have imagined that. God was working, though. God was fulfilling his plan. And then notice verse 24, because we see another glimpse of God's plan. It says, but the word of God grew and multiplied. You say, well, God, that was a really complicated way to do it. Couldn't you have found a different way to get your word out and to see it grow and multiply? God can do whatever he wants. He's God. But God said, this is the best way. This is my way. And that's what God did. So I believe when we pray to God, we're putting ourselves in a position of humility and dependence upon the Lord to say, God, you're in charge. I know you're here. You're with me. God, I know you have power. You can do whatever you want. You can do whatever needs to be done. But God, I'm going to trust your plan. Because God, I know you're at work. I know it's your desire. You're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
God, I know that Jesus said that He would build His church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. God, I know that You're at work to bring glory to Yourself through this world as people trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. So God, I'm going to trust in Your plan. I want to remind you of somebody who prayed to God that didn't have the prayer answered the way that they wanted it or He wanted it to be. His name was Jesus. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus prayed this prayer. He said, Father, if it be Thy will, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but Thine. Now, Jesus, in His humanity, could pray prayers that weren't answered the way that He wanted them answered. Don't you think that God may not always answer the prayer the way you want it to be answered? Later, Jesus hung on the cross and He cried out to His Father, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? If God would allow His own Son to go through such suffering and pain, so that you and I could have eternal life. Don't you think He can allow His children, you and me, to go through some suffering in this life so that the Word can go forth and be multiplied? Yeah, sometimes God's plan includes my pain. But that's okay. Because my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I'm to glorify God with my body and my spirit, which are His. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect, here it is, will of God. God's plans, not your plans. God's plans are bigger than our plans, and they are better than our plans. But that doesn't mean they're always comfortable. <laughs> doesn't mean they're always easy. Prayer. Prayer is an acknowledgement, a recognition of God's presence. When you pray to God, and you do it consistently, as they said here, without ceasing, we're acknowledging, God, you're with it. You're with me. You're with this situation. God, you know, you see. It's not just why I pray in church on Sunday. No, God's with you when you go from here. God's with you in the dark of night when your fears are the, are the most real. God's with you when you're all alone. God's with you when you're not sure which way to turn. He's there. God's before, He's behind you, and He's all around. And if you're a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. He's present. And God is powerful. He's all-powerful. He can do whatever He pleases. He's God. And God has a plan. God has a plan.
may not be what we expect. It may not work out in the time we want it to. But don't be surprised when he does the unexpected. Maybe you've been struggling this morning because God didn't answer some prayers the way you wanted him to. So, well, I'm not going to pray about those things anymore. I'll keep that to myself. I'm not really sure God can do anything about that. Maybe he doesn't even care. You may not say those words out loud, but sometimes that's what we demonstrate by our failure to pray. Is God really listening? Can God really do anything? Is God's plan? It doesn't even make sense. I'll finish where I started. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. Are you grieving? Overjoys departed. Tell it to Jesus alone. Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. He is a friend that's well known. You've no other such a friend or brother. Tell it to Jesus alone. Lord, I confess to you that my prayer life is not always what it should be. You know that. But Lord, you've convicted me and challenged me through this amazing story of your work. Lord, the realization that your work is not always the way we expect it to be. Lord, I'm thankful to be a part of what you're doing here at this church. Lord, I pray that you would guide and direct each one. That we would confess our lack of faith to you. Recognize your presence, your power, your plan in everything that we face. May we do as the Proverbs tells us, to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and to lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways to acknowledge you, knowing that you will direct our paths. Lord, encourage the one this morning who's doubting Maybe there's somebody here today that's never trusted you as Savior, and they haven't because they've really struggled at your work in this world and not really happy with certain things. Help them to realize that your plans are so much bigger than our plans, but that you love us. You sent Jesus to die for us. And that our hope of eternity is in you and in you alone. Bless this time now, I pray in Jesus' name.